it's just like a grim state of affairs overall and we're going to be talking about like the grimmest portion of magic the gathering affairs too so it's it's just a tough week all around at this point that's just kind of the default though right like if it's if it's ever not a tough week you'll be kind of taken aback and a little confused and not quite sure what to make of it but you know there's some comfort in just yeah it's kind of (laughs) it's still just the same drudgery it was last time (laughs) check back in next week i like to imagine that the when people go off to tournaments for like the SDGs or whatever, the NRGs, that's their good week. They've been looking forward to that. And that's just a great time for them. So I just, I just try to think of those people because <laughs> I don't get to go to those things. Oh yeah. I mean, in 2019, when uh, you know, I, I had to go to what, 20 something weekends of, of tournaments and cross the border for every one of them, you would, you would talk to the people who this is, their one open they played a year because the the tour came to their hometown and it's like I, i'm jealous of you and i'm not jealous of you at the same time uh and I, I really wish i could just put the veil of ignorance back on and just have no understanding of what it's like to, to do this every single week i drove from north carolina to syracuse by the way i uh o2 that tournament with kci so it's not a good week guaranteed to do nice. that if you nice. drive from north carolina to syracuse <laughs> It's fine. There was a hurricane coming to North Carolina, so I was, like, dodging that. Ah, uh, yeah. But the two people I played against were just, like, locals who'd never played a tournament before. And it was it was nice. <laughs> and then I lost. It was not as nice. But, you know. <laughs> You're just in this adult state having to explain the, the KCI loop to someone who just has no oh, idea what's, what's going God, on. God, I never comboed off in that tournament. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound <laughs> the, like it. <laughs> <laughs> it uh it went poorly it went really poorly that's what happens when you drive to syracuse though this is not a universe that allows you to top eight a tournament when you drive from north carolina to syracuse like come on it was not the last time i went to syracuse but it was the last time i drove to syracuse <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 234 of the MTG Grindcast, the inside baseballiest podcast. I can't, Lee, I can't believe you just made me say the word balliest on the podcast. It was it was baseballiest. Mm-hmm. In all of Central North Carolina, uh, the reason for that descriptor of the episode is that we have brought our friend dom harvey here to talk to us about coverage content creation all sorts of stuff like that dom how are you i'm good i think uh, thank you very much uh, for for having me uh, i've listened to the podcast for a long time and have recorded a different podcast of my own using ccr setup before but i've never mm-hmm. appeared on this podcast so i'm finally getting to cross that one off the bucket list That's pretty weird that we have never had you on this podcast. You are one of the more experienced podcasters in the community, too, although I know uh, relatively new to magic podcasting, though I do, of course, love your magic podcast. And possibly retired magic podcaster, too, now. I mean, we we don't know yet, so stay tuned on that front, I guess. I did just listen to the very last Dominaria's Judgment this morning while I was working. Yeah, that, we we didn't we didn't have any uh, tearful send off or anything. That's not really our style. But uh, I, I guess I I'm not retired yet. If I'm currently recording a magic podcast, so uh, that that will have to wait. But <laughs> hey, I certainly left that podcast in my brain, assuming like there will be one next week. I have no idea. Like, sounds like 
you you guys aren't totally sure what your plans are for this going forward, but I I certainly hope to hear more of Dominaria's judgment in the future. Yeah, I I think we both want to continue it in some capacity, but it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out if and how and then all of the technical mumbo jumbo uh, that goes into all of that. So fingers crossed, but uh, probably not in the near future, at least. I mean, the name alone is worth preserving, so I hope that you can do something with it. I don't even know if we get to keep the name. Uh, we're in uh, negotiations, I guess, with, uh, you know, could we do we get the feed? Do we get the branding? Because uh, all of that stuff has to name. be... I think we it was more out of desperation than anything else. We just needed a name, and we realized, oh, this is an obscure pun based on some unplayable card from 20 years ago that kind of has our names in it. Let's do that. And no better idea was put forward to us, and so that that's how it got locked in. Rough. I... <laughs> Hope that Star City doesn't insist upon maintaining control over the name <laughs> of the podcast that includes both of your names in well, it. Isn't the next set Dominaria Reborn or something like that? You could just be that. I, oh. Honestly, that's a yeah, that is a, a fantastic idea. And if they did keep the name, I'm not sure what else they could even plausibly use it for. So yeah, it doesn't seem right to be well, much used in uh, safeguarding that. But who knows? I think. I think all of your listeners would pretty happily boycott any use of the Dominaria's <laughs> Judgment podcast that didn't include the two of you. I hope so. So we've already started kind of like bridging into the subject of today's show, which is, you know, originally I was going to get you on here to talk about Blastoise Turtle and the sort of sh- legacy shenanigans that are going on. But I think what we've kind of settled on is that it'd be much more interesting to talk about especially given the context of some stuff that happened today, the the state of content creation, the state of Magic the Gathering coverage, uh, it's not going to be possible for us to completely avoid talking about like the state of competitive tournament magic, but I think we want to kind of lean towards this. What's, what's going to happen to all of our content creators? Uh, what are plans going forward? What, what's the, the scenery like for people who have relied on making content who have done that regularly and and as content consumers and content creators you know what does the landscape look like this seems like a perfect topic for dom dom you've been a regular contributor to star city games for a while now i i don't know exactly what state this leaves you in for content creation going forward but i just want to talk about like what's going on in the space and also just you know how how things are feeling right now it's this weird uh, period of turbulence and our people where I I still have a gig and I've seen all the writers who I would, you know, wake up before school to read every morning as a kid. A lot of people who were there back in those days and who were still there until this past week have now dropped off and I'm just uh, clinging on to the, the sinking ship, I suppose. <laughs> and I guess I now have... I guess constructed competitive magic is my my official beat uh, in whatever ecosystem is going to be there, which I, I don't even know myself. I feel like I'm just phoning in from my little silo and then uh, I guess I'll see with everyone else what emerges from it. But it, it is weird to see all of that, knowing that I, I'm still there while many of the mm-hmm. people who frankly deserve to still be in that game more are not. But then... I'm only there because I was being paid less than them to begin with. And this is, as the whole thing was framed in the first place, a a cost-cutting measure that the whole venture simply wasn't uh, able to support itself anymore. 
And then there's the kind of another level of resentment on top of that, that, uh, well, yeah, I was being paid less than them, even though I think in some regards, I was more dialed into what was happening than the people who maybe were not past their prime necessarily, but were not giving it their all, maybe as they had been in the past. Uh, and, and so it's a real mix of complicated emotions about it. And I have tried to take a back seat with it this week. I, I think it's tough to offer words of support to your colleagues who are getting fired when you're not yourself. But, you know, quiet solidarity, I guess, is my, my stance at the moment. <laughs> well, and you did get fired from one of your gigs in that you no longer get to make your Modern Focus podcast with Ari. So not quite the same as getting totally fired. And, and I don't think I even... I mean, I didn't quite realize. I just assumed that you were no longer writing articles, but I'm I'm glad that at least somebody gets to keep hanging onto the ship. I, I don't think we can not talk about the announcement today. And, and obviously, you know, the fact that you are still working for Star City, I'm not trying to get you in trouble or anything like that. Uh, but the announcement today of the, you know, there's never been a better time to subscribe to Star City Games Premium. I have to say I beg to differ because there were a bunch of times where subscribing to Star City Premium in addition to being a bunch of coupons for stuff would also get me access to articles by you know Ari Lax and Jerry Thompson and people that I want to read so I mean also that like there were times before even that motto where you just got premium for the articles and that's it there was no discounts or whatever oh yeah and it, it... Even before I was a company man, I I had my own premium account. I, I very gladly paid to read a lot of the people who would later become my colleagues. And I, I thought then, and I, I continue to think that that was the best investment you could make for what little it costs in relative terms if you were focused on leveling up your game and, and staying abreast of what was happening, even with uh, the churn in writers over time. And maybe you had a specific writer or a specific format that really drew you in. So, you know, if you had a, a an interest in like legacy and vintage, for example, eternal formats, which didn't really get much coverage over there, or when Pioneer was kind of in the doldrums, if you were one of these Pioneer grinders on Magic Online and you needed to keep up with that, maybe you would subscribe to someone's Patreon instead, for example. But if you were just taking a general interest in competitive Magic, then for, I don't even know how long, a decade or more, SCG Premium was the place to be, and it's not anymore. And so I, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of a tone-deaf tweet, and uh, it will blow over and people will forget about it in a few days. But the the it's very jarring to see that at a time where you take any point in the past 10 years and throw a dart at that board, and that would be a far better time <laughs> to subscribe <laughs> yes. to Premium, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Honestly, it's just poor proofreading, because their whole thing is that they're trying to justify Premium to keep existing and they added a bunch of stuff to it and it's its own thing now because it doesn't include articles anymore right and their goal with that tweet was to like here is the new premium model right here's what you get for it but then they worded it in the absolute worst way possible <laughs> so people just can't get you, you're just not communicating the right thing yeah if the tweet were just like you know acknowledging hey most people subscribe to premium for the articles but we think that we've prepared something that will encourage a sub, you know, a subset of people to do it. You know, it. You don't. You don't even have to acknowledge it. Be like, hey, we updated the premium. You should make it as bland as possible. Sure. Hey, we updated the premium. This is what you get now. And then you don't have any engagement on that tweet. <laughs> yeah, it, it just pretty poor copywriting. Unfortunate choice of words. 
But the the reality of the situation is that people are no longer making content for Star City Games. It is, you know, easy to, especially when when there's like a, a focal point for being upset like this tweet, like it's easy to be angry at somebody for decisions that were made and stuff. But, you know, just to like back up and, and look at the context for this whole situation, uh, you know, COVID has done an enormous amount of damage to in-person Magic the Gathering. Wizards of the Coast has, you know, had their own not great decision making around competitive magic that I think has lowered a lot of interest in the game. And, you know, Star City's model of we're going to go around and buy cards and sell cards and create a market for ourselves by creating the Star City series is not really available to them anymore. And that, like, you know, their whole business model was based around that and the idea of using the tour to create magic stars on their circuit who then they could use for content creators. You know, it was a really neat little ecosystem that got fundamentally really badly disrupted. And I don't know if the financials now absolutely require the shutting down of their creator, you know, content creation program, but certainly it is not the easy, you know, cycle of things that 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 we saw before. So uh, just a, a really tough situation. It's certainly disappointing. A lot of people that I like and respect a lot now out of a job, and it's, it's hard to see that. Yeah, I think COVID was going to put anyone who relied on magic for their income stream in a very difficult situation, inevitably, no matter what. Um, and then for a company like SEG, who, you know, they're in the content game, uh, they're running tournaments, uh, a lot of their inflow and outflow relies on people selling cards to them at those tournaments. I mean, that is the part of the business model that made all of that possible in the first place. Uh, you know, it's not the the entry fees coming in and the you subtract you subtract the prize money here. A lot of it is just the the vendors, right? And so the the entire ecosystem of paper magic. Uh, was taken out from underneath all of these people. And yeah, it was going to be an immensely difficult situation, but it wasn't helped by, I think, Wizards playing this terrible hand as badly as they could have in so many aspects where, you know, with Mm -hmm. this pivot towards online play, I think there are a lot of people who realized because COVID forced this into sharp relief that a lot of their engagement with the game was less about the game itself and was more about the... Uh, the social opportunities and so on. You know, it's about the gathering, not the magic, right? Is the the cliche at this point. Um, but I, I think there are people who are straddling the fence where if they enjoyed the forms of magic that were on offer, then maybe they would dip, dip a toe in some of the online stuff. And I know that uh, you guys very on in, uh, early on in COVID, we had, you know, the Lotus Box online tournaments and uh, CFB did their part and SEG had the SEG tour online for a while and, and people really tried. People really gave it their all. But the magic mm-hmm. just kind of sucked was, was the problem where, uh, you know, if I think there were times in magic's history where COVID would not have been as fatal in so many ways. But when the start of the, the pandemic is a month after the printing of Uro and a month before the release of Companions, like that is the, the, the timing there is really rancid uh, in the end. Um, and then with organized play having to shift uh, online, 
that is a, a difficult tightrope to walk. And instead they just jumped off the tightrope and, you know, every part of that was handled catastrophically in my view. Um, and, and it's it, it's tough to tease out here how much of it was they had a specific goal, which maybe does not align with what I would want to see. And, and that's just the, the end of it versus even with that in mind, they did a very bad job of meeting that goal. And I, I think both of those are true in this case. When did the MPL die? Uh, I don't remember the year. It was during COVID. I know that. Well, uh, <laughs> so there's the official death, and then there's like the the zombie half life phase where it was it was kind of dead, but not officially dead yet. Uh, and then I think in the midst of a lot of the nostalgia that you saw for the old system, it's worth bearing in mind that in 2019, when that was meant to be the the on ramp for the MPL and also the phasing out of the old system, you had the mm-hmm. the husk of the former OP system kind of going in tandem with the MPL. And that really showed to me that unless that former system had the institutional support, had the money and so on, and then had a lot of other stuff in place like that, that's not a system which just works because the concept is amazing. It needs the people behind it to really uh, be there for it. And it wasn't that yet. And that's why, even though there were still uh, pro tours or mythic championships and so on, there was just no buzz around it, no energy, uh, and that that dwindled and it died, and no one seemed <laughs> too upset about it in the end. Yeah, I mean, you need buy-in from the your participants and your audience, and something about having a a pathway and and you know earning your way through, even if that wasn't like a reasonable goal for most people, but it was a possibility. There was something about that that was that was really important. One of the reasons why I just don't find the current Star City, the SCG Con offerings particularly compelling because I, you know, just we, we like our, our points. We like our achieve, achievement points. We want our Chivos. Uh, and it's, it's hard for me to get real excited if, if those aren't on offer. Oh, that's interesting because I, I would be going to these SCG tournaments. I, like I would have put booked tickets and whatever if COVID hadn't been so, so bad when they announced mm-hmm. them. Uh, I don't really need achievements or points or whatever. Uh, even though I have been like on the leaderboard and buy eligible at some points in history, I just I just want to play at the tournaments and be there and have fun. Like I I do too, but I have basically no FOMO for these. Whereas you know if there were a leaderboard and and people were like consistently doing well and and there were a narrative developing then i would be like oh man i'm kind of missing out on that in a way that i don't quite feel see and maybe this is a good bridge but the only reason i don't have fomo or maybe sometimes i do is the lack of coverage yeah because oh that destroys it at, yeah absolutely when i look at Honorog's stream or skylar's stream that's the fomo hits mm-hmm. immediately yeah when you hear the the tournament hall noises in the background Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Jarvis is quietly explaining what his card does <laughs> to some unsuspecting opponent. Yeah. That's just like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. I, I don't know if I need some ASMR track now of just ambient tournament hall noise, uh, punctuated, of course, by some like ear shattering announcement Judge about, announcement. yeah, sealed yeah, players, yeah. <laughs> please gather beneath the blue gathering point or something. But yeah, I, I hadn't realized just how much of the ancillary stuff I had missed as well, right? It, it's, once again, it's not just the magic and it's not just the gathering, it's being in that environment and being just mm-hmm. immersed in this 
as a form of escapism, honestly. And this is a time more than ever where you, you kind of need that. Even though I have a lot of fun playing some of the online tournaments, it, is, it just hits different, you know? It really is not the same vibe. And um, I, I think it's easy to muddle together it's a very case-by-case case individual thing, so not calling anyone out on this, but um, I, I see a lot of people say that they, they don't really understand why they ever liked Magic in the first place or they've kind of fallen out of love in the game uh, or whatever. And I think some of that is just digital Magic is a different experience. And for some people, it's a better experience. You know, that it's worth bearing in mind. You know, we have the, the set championship uh, on Arena coming up uh, in a week or two, and something like one-fifth of that tournament is from Japan. And you mm -hmm. know, Japanese magic is having this amazing renaissance in the arena era in a way that uh, with how the, the GPs and so on were distributed before, that simply wasn't an option for a lot of them. Uh, you know, Likewise, a lot of the, the South American players who, you know, I, I will maintain till the day I die that Paolo is the greatest of all time, not just because of his incredible resume, but it, it's the fact that he was able to rack that up when he had to Brazil. travel yeah. 20 hours to every tournament. And even if you win the tournament, you might not even break even on your travel expenses. Like that, that is a, a truly staggering achievement to me. And so, yeah, in one sense, Online Magic has really opened up this, this frontier for a whole lot of players. And it's worth keeping that in mind. But for those of us who, as I myself was for the past few years, lucky enough to be near the Northeast United States, you know, the, the loss of paper magic really was a, a body blow there. And I don't, I don't want to like impugn the set championship or anything. I know a lot of people on Twitter like to do that. Say that it's just like doesn't matter or whatever. And I don't think that it, it's still a cool tournament with good prizes and a lot of people worked hard to get there. Uh, the only thing I don't like about the set championship is the weird way Watsy handles it. They don't advertise it well. They don't like it's alchemy. This this like this upcoming one is alchemy and historic, but. A new set comes out weeks after the tournament so there's like very little reason to watch that sort mm -hmm. of thing but the actual tournaments themselves i will turn on <laughs> and watch right yeah i mean i i certainly will too yeah i think those debates about is this a real pro tour it does it have the same cachet as a pro tour okay yeah it's it's never productive right no no one comes away from that conversation feeling better about things but <laughs> i will say that it's hard to take it seriously when it feels like the message from up on high is you're kind of a fool if you do take this seriously because we're not going to advertise it and you know it, it doesn't feed into anything larger really you have the the world's race at the moment but uh there's no larger mpl rival scaffolding or anything like that there's no aspirational quality to it it's here is a tournament and so if you are interested in watching some of these players or some of these formats then great but the formats in particular as you say lee it's there's this pattern that's emerged over time of we will put these uh, tournaments where the format is dead, where it's the format's about to rotate or uh, it's the same as the format has been for, for two or three months now. And at, at this point, it happens so often that you have to think there's some kind of intentionality behind it. And you could come up with all kinds of cynical reasons for why that is. Uh, but may maybe there is uh, a sincere case that we think this is the best place to put that to maximize viewer engagement in some way but at least tell us why that is and so it's yeah. not just a it, it, it it's puzzling on the face of it but it's the lack of communication around it that really is emblematic of the, the wider issue there the the most stark example to miss to me was the end of 2020 fall of 2020 where you had four mythic championships in a row that were all standard 
and they were all the same format, only different because a card got banned in the game. <laughs> right. Yeah, this was uh, in the, the, the Throne of Eldraine heyday, right? Where first it was Field of the Dead, and then it was Oko, and then... The, the third one, uh, the uh, canister one, if I remember right, was that one, That actually looked like kind of a cool format, but it took a lot of work to get there. And it's almost like had the first format been good in the first place, then had it been stable enough, we would have played three high-level tournaments with exactly the same decks and exactly the same players. And who would even care by the time you got to the, to the end? You made a lot of cat oven triggers over the course of those tournaments. I mean, there's going to be a lot of cat oven triggers in the next tournament too. So if, if, that, if that's your jam, <laughs> Ooh, then, uh, a little, little yeah. inside format information. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be a kind of like freewheeling discussion. And, and you know, we're not going to be able to just stay focused entirely on coverage and content creation. But I, I do want to talk about kind of like the future of Magic tournament coverage or e- even just the present of Magic tournament coverage because we've all done some work uh you know we worked on the mana trader series we have watched infinite hours of coverage over our years of being magicians i i don't really know where to start on this topic you know number one it is frustrating not having a star city tournament almost every week you know either i'm at a star city tournament or i'm like home watching one on the weekend that has been unfortunate especially not being able to see my favorite commentators and not having any idea if I will ever be able to see them again, put this in the context of, you know, we've seen multiple streamers go back and just watch old star city streams on their stream and then get like 600 viewers, just like watching an old open or watching an old pro tour or something. So there, there's certainly a certain amount of hunger for coverage the 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 landscape is really weird right now for coverage because there is some happening there are some innovations going on but it all feels like like it, it feels like we're sliding down the the deck of the titanic i don't i don't know like if if coverage exists at some point you know a year from now five years from now something like that yeah it, it seems like outside of uh the nrg events where they they do have their own uh recurring coverage crew and their stream and so on outside of that it feels like most tournament coverage now it's not it's not even third party in the sense of we have some other organization or some other group coming in to do it it's just if you are at the tournament and you own a camera and a tripod then go nuts you know do your thing and yeah uh that is admirable in a lot of ways like i i think back to the cfb vegas event uh, at the end of last year when uh farah eyelash tv massively grew her following overnight by just showing up to the first paper magic tournament in close to two years with a camera and that's not that's not a revolutionary idea right but that was the most maybe the most heads up move i've seen any magic content creator make in a long time because she realized the basics of the situation which is there is this this hunger for uh for tournament coverage especially after years without it and they are not doing it for some seemingly inexplicable reason for a lot of people and so i will fill that void and she did and we've seen a lot of people doing that now and at the the various uh scg con events and so on you you can almost rely on there being a handful of these backpack streamers just uh doing their own thing but for as inspiring as that is in some ways the fact that it needs to be done is kind of a depressing sign in and of itself so uh, that's another mixed bag there for me one of the things i want to mention is that we say that people want coverage a lot. That's a really common phrase. 
but I don't think people really get what it means. People just want to be involved in the magic game, mm-hmm. like in the tournament hall. They want to be there. People don't, I mean, there are people that care, but the vast majority of people just tuning into streams, the average viewer is not tuning in specifically to get like Cedric and uh, P. Sully's input on whatever match is being played at a high level or whatever. They don't care. They just want to be part of the tournament, the storylines, see what they're talking about and all that stuff. Which is why uh, it reminds me of, uh, I think Nate Holt was his mm-hmm. name, the Walking the Plains for PT Philly. Yeah. He just didn't, he played some magic, showed up to the tournament hall, and just filmed a documentary that went off. It was huge. He spawned a whole thing that Wizards worked with him on. And that's kind of what is missing in the, the coverage game, so to speak. It's just, there's no involvement in tournaments anymore. There's no involvement in, like, the magic game if you're not actively playing it. That, that reminds me of the, like, the 2017-2018 era of GPs where it seemed like there would be several different vlogs going on at any one time, right? You had the, the schlog and the the, the mm-hmm. Vortion vlog and Marshall would, would do his own thing and Louise and Gabby. And it, it felt like you could find a way to live vicariously through these people and enjoy the tournament through them, even if it was on the other side of the country and there was no way you were going to make it out there yourself. Yeah, for sure. I I, I don't know that I've quite thought about it in in those terms but yeah just the like involvement in it is is a big aspect of like what people are hungry for i i think that magic tournament coverage has been pretty stagnant for a long time and kind of like in a stone age when you compare it to and you know magic's not an esport but esports are the most comparable thing to it when you compare it to esport coverage you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's been holding Magic back, and this is all in the context of there is not money in Magic content the way that there can be for many esports tournaments and tournament coverage. Were never quite the thing. You know, there weren't outside sponsors. Like the biggest sponsors for Magic tournaments are like Ultimate Guard and stuff. So it's all this very like insular kind of parasitic economy of things you know we we don't have much in the way of red bull or whatever sponsoring tournaments uh or or sponsoring coverage so there's not necessarily the money to encourage like professional levels of production or innovative coverage techniques or anything like that but even given that a lot of times watching tournaments can be kind of boring we don't have the like cutaway segments that are actually good a lot of the stuff during the pro tour coverage is like oh it's this like same cutaway segment that we've watched four times and it wasn't very good the first time uh the you know little vignettes player profiles things like that they're rarely done in in a way that at least i found very compelling uh and and i just i I never felt like we quite got there to where like i wouldn't be slightly embarrassed to show this to somebody who wasn't like also really into magic just a thought that i've had for like a really long time about magic coverage and then obviously like us doing magic coverage we get an opportunity to see like oh man it is so hard each new thing that you want to try to create is like a ton of work uh we had a bunch of people working on it just to try to like make sure that we could get stats and records and stuff on the board and 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 it's amazing the amount of work and the difficulty that goes into this. 
So that creates a, a fear and a caution in me that like, wow, it's just really difficult to upgrade magic coverage once you've like gotten it to a bare level of competence in production value. Yeah, and th- there's so much inertia with this stuff too. Once you have a setup that just about basically works, it's very tempting to just run that back. And as you say, getting any kind of even marginal improvement to that takes a lot of time, uh, a lot of money potentially. And so it's easy to just run it back. And if it, it is working just about, then then that's fine. Um, but there's no no incentive for any kind of professional development because it isn't a profession, right? Like e- right. even the people who... The handful who have commentary as some kind of income stream, so uh, you know the the aliases and uh, Cedrics of the world, even for them, this is one part of a larger pie because it can't be the whole thing. Like there just aren't enough opportunities, and they don't, they don't pay well enough for this to be the thing that you do, where you tell people, "Yeah, I'm a full time professional uh, magic commentator." And so, with that in mind, you know, getting that training in place for the next generation is is really difficult. Um, I kind of had one foot on that ladder when COVID hit. You know, I was scheduled to be uh, joining the the SEG broadcast team for some of the opens. Like this is my dream gig, right? This is what I had kind of faintly dreamed about for for a long time, and then uh, that just got completely obliterated. And then when SEG made this valiant effort with the the online tour. Well, that, that, those were totally different events to have to cover, first of all. And so even if I'd had enough of those to feel confident there, making the transition back to paper events would have taken some time. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the the numbers just weren't there. People weren't tuning in. And some of that was just the standard format kind of sucked. And Arena, for whatever virtues it has, has a lot of issues in terms of watchability. And it's just not a compelling broadcast uh even if you have seasoned professionals there instead of me who's just trying to learn the ropes and so uh yeah it's everything is working against people being able to practice and learn and iterate and then when you look at a lot of the certainly the official coverage in in years past and to this day there's a lot of just like i don't even know how to phrase it but it's people just showing up and i think they are sincerely trying to do their best but what they're trying to do is so at odds with you know what i think the goals of coverage should be and then also they're just working against each other in terms of what it leads to as a product and so yeah it's when you look at magic coverage duos and then you look over at to you know you you flip the channel and you watch like a sports broadcast or you watch like a dota broadcast or something like that magic the gathering commentary it just feels basically except for <laughs> except for patrick and cedric it feels like it's just on an amateur level like a couple of leagues below or or and and often done by people who haven't had the training and don't quite understand the goals of commentary or how to make it that entertaining pro that thing that to, to give it that crackle and that pop and that fun, especially when the game is not necessarily the most interesting thing to watch. I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but uh, that's certainly something that I've like stewed on for a while. Yeah. I think Cedric and Patrick almost uniquely are the pair who have reached that level of rapport and uh, professionalism where you would watch them, uh, 
the, watching them is the point more so than watching the actual games of magic that are unfolding before you and that's mm-hmm. that's why people enjoy the receivables so much right it's honestly less so about the magic and that that they freely admit that right it's it's not about getting into the ins and outs of should this mechanic in this set have been done in this way a lot of it is just the stories and the the war stories from the trenches of the SCG tour and, and just all of this other stuff and mm-hmm. you get to be part of that uh parasocial relationship i believe is the the favorite phrase there um (laughs) i think for the most part though if you don't have that then you really need to think carefully about how the people in the booth are going to be bouncing off each other what they're trying to accomplish and i think it's easy when you're just setting up a stream for an event to just plonk two people in the booth or in the discord call together and just kind of let them figure it out without you having the conversation with them or them having it with each other about all right, let, let's treat this as a a project, as a process that we need to like formally work through and figure out. Maybe the two of you doing it on the fly and shooting the shit is going to be interesting, but probably not. And you should probably like have a, a goal in mind here. And it just feels like that is so, so absent so much of the time. Um, and, and I think that can also be, you know, a resource limitation thing. Yeah. You know, when when we were doing coverage, like, how could I make those demands of somebody? How could I say, all right, let's have these meetings. Let's have these like pre-production conferences. Let's figure out these, these things. Let's do trainings. Like, how could I do that when all, all like, the best I can do is like cut you a check for 150 bucks for a weekend? Like, there's just no, there, there just aren't the resources in this game to to do the sort of work unless you have people like really volunteering a lot of their time which is a really tough ask i also think that especially when i was doing commentary like i think it's possible to do a passable or even good job at the actual commentary itself Mm -hmm. but still not like have that spark or be super entertaining Mm -hmm. like i remember a time when i don't remember who our guest was at the time we had we had a guest commentator but we lost them for like the last round they just couldn't do it so we had me and Collins when me and Collins were just never like never together. Uh, one of us was always playing the other role with a guest. So it was just me and Collins in the room. We did a round of commentary. It was the last round. And then we finished. We got out. It was fun. It was, it was a good match. And I got out of the room and back room. Chris said, I wish you and Collins were together more. It was really, it was really fun. And I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. That, that, that was fun. Because that we just like have known each other a while, and we were able to bounce off each other. It was it was an interesting perspective. There's a spark of energy that there's there's more than like calling the plays and talking about the interesting things in the format. There's like a like I can hear that these two people like and respect each other and are playing off of each other in a way that you know that like Cedric and Patrick absolutely have. You feel like you're in that like warm embrace of their friendship when when they're doing it yeah and i don't think it it almost has to be that natural it doesn't have to be two people who would be the best of friends in real Mm -hmm. life outside of this or whatever but uh, in terms of bringing a performance to the broadcast uh then you know it's the same as any kind of ensemble act right any kind of uh you know theatrical performance any kind of tv show what have you if if there isn't this agreed sense of what your role is and what the larger goal is then the whole thing is going to be going at the pace of the person who is dragging the whole thing down and that's 
it, it's a, a harsh truth to have to express that way but like that's that's how i feel honestly watching a lot of magic coverage and it's the spot which i've been in myself sometimes you know um mm-hmm. I, I think there's a it, when i go back and look at the coverage i did for seg there is a a market difference between my first show and my last show and if that was still ongoing if sure. my last show was years in the future then i like to think i would have improved since then and if i was still doing it with carmen then our rapport would have developed and we, we would have figured that out but as it is you know when i tune into official coverage sometimes i just have to mute it right away because what i'm hearing just it's it's like nails on a chalkboard to me or like it is possible it's tolerable but it just it isn't there it isn't working and sometimes there's just that that missing element which is hard to pin down um mm-hmm. and sometimes there's just like a fundamental issue in how they're approaching it where even if it's an engaging personality or it's someone you like this combination of people doing it in this way isn't going to get the desired result and i think often e- even when you look at these duos who who you like and who you think work you know your ideal commentary duo is not two copies of one person if if lsv is your favorite magic personality your ideal uh, commentary team probably would not be two copies of lsv because uh, or maybe it is because he has the the self-awareness and the wherewithal to let the other lsv uh, take the reins at certain points and then bounce off it in other ways. But you you need to have that awareness of what your role is in the larger production. And I just, that, that seems so lacking from, from so much of certainly the amateur commentary, but also just the professional commentary as well. Yeah, I, I do empathize a lot with uh, what you said about having to mute official streams sometimes. And I, I know CCR does because I get texts from you being like, oh, I can't believe blah, blah, blah said this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Just mute it, CCR. <laughs> uh yeah and and a lot of times the that is so so, you know there's there's a really tough balance the pool of people is so maybe the pool isn't so small but like what you're looking for is such a specific thing because the person needs to be a magic player as in somebody who's dialed into competitive magic and can understand not only like the formats and the decks but like why are people making the plays that they're making is really really difficult as soon as somebody does something that's unintuitive you need somebody who gets it in there and then the overlap between like the magic players who are dialed in and knowledgeable enough to do that and then also are effervescent on camera and can pull off just being an entertainer and it's not even the same skill set as like oh let's just get streamers to do it it's like this is a totally different skill set from just being a streamer and and it's i mean like there's certainly overlap but it's tough to find that that like perfect mix that it's it's a lot of requirements there's also no like talent acquisition Mm -hmm. in, in this field like in other games even like uh I always go to fighting games because I watch them the most, but League of Legends is really popular. I know they have smaller circuits that have other commentators, and I, I don't watch enough League of Legends to know this, but I have to assume that some of those commentators from the lower leagues got recognized because they were good mm-hmm. and floated up to the big leagues. That, that just makes sense yeah. to me. But in Magic, or Magic, you just have the people we've been using because we know they work mm-hmm. or they're passable. Right. There's no on-ramp. Yeah, I mean, this is what Anurag is trying to do, right? With some of these uh, yes. smaller events which he runs just for the sake of having people who don't have that commentary experience but want to dip their toe in into that 
they get to have a go at it. And I, I think that's really commendable. But the, the underlying question there is, well, what are they practicing for? What are they auditioning for? Because unless Anirag himself is going to be uh, promoting these even bigger and even better events, which is basically just coming out of his own pocket at that point, because mm. that there's no money there, there's no external backing, then you're, you're just, you're getting that taste of it and that's fine. But it's almost, it's kind of like a, a Groupon experience, right? You, you go there and you do your thing for one day and it, it's fun. And then you just move on to other things. You don't move into this as uh, a hobby or an interest or something you're really taking seriously because what is there to take seriously? There, there's nothing left. So I'm just giggling at the Groupon experience. That's just such a perfect metaphor. I've gone paintballing once in my life, and it was when we had a Groupon for paintballing. Never, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a professional paintballer after that. Yeah, and, and to be clear, this is not a new problem. This isn't like, oh, man, the, the Pro Tour is dying out, and now there just don't seem to be opportunities for comment. Like, there was never an on-ramp for this. There was never a B-League. There was never, like, a clear, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna try out and, and see if I can become a commentator because there just weren't the slots. And, and I remember this will live in my mind forever that Wizards, like, community, one of their community people posted, like, hey, I've gotten a lot of... Uh, questions about how you get into commentary. Well, here's my like list of advice. And it was pretty much just like find ways of doing commentary on your own in order to like establish your bona fides and then you'll get on a broadcast eventually. And I was so frustrated reading that because number one, there weren't any opportunities to even just like volunteer to do coverage for smaller circuits. Like that didn't, th that wasn't a thing. It's more of a thing now than it ever was before because at least like streamers and stuff are running tournaments and then number two looking at the roster of wizards commentators like not a single person had taken that route that just wasn't a thing that had happened for anybody it was people who you know had been working at wizards for a while or had just gotten in early on the commentary game and then you know that that they were their go-to's and it was just very clear like there's not a route to doing this from not doing it we've mentioned the streamers have been doing tournaments like hopeland and croakies are the two big ones because they're the largest streams i know croakies just said in the pre when the previous set came out he hosted his tournament like normal but there was no coverage mm -hmm. for it because he said it was it was too much of an expense he's like he's not getting a return off of it so he's not gonna have coverage for it and i understood that but it, it sucked well, I think also he was having problems because he was planning on doing coverage, but he was having technical problems because he needed people to stream their games to him. And it was too, yeah, too difficult. Yeah, that's another thing. thing. Right, yeah. So Magic Arena not having spectator mode is uh, striking again. And the fact, too, that they have had some world-class broadcasting talent that they have pushed away through their own ineptitude. So... The fact that Brian Kibler became a Hearthstone personality and phenomenon, that should never have been allowed to happen. That They should have done everything they could, thrown every, whatever was in their marketing budget at the, the sole task of keeping Kibler within your orbit. Because that, that's someone who is both a natural and a professional when it comes to presenting the game in a way that's mm -hmm. appealing to both enfranchised players and to players of other games who might be roped in uh, as well. Similarly, uh, David Williams, uh, someone who is just outstanding uh, as uh, on-camera 
uh, personality who has been very vocal about his experiences working with Watsi and feeling just disrespected and not taken seriously by them. And he wanted to do this. He wanted this to be one of the things that he can do, but he's a guy who there's a lot of other stuff he could be doing with this time. And he's doing that other stuff now because despite being a uh, someone who's been in the upper echelons of the game for so long, they they didn't take him seriously. And so he returned the favor and uh, you, you can't really blame him for that. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't fuck around too much with somebody who has a a World Series of Poker bracelet. They'll they'll stop taking your calls. Like, why why would why does he have to deal with that nonsense? It's no longer about I need to be doing this to earn a living, and how am I going to support myself otherwise? It can be a it it shouldn't have to be, but it can be a passion project for those people. And so, if even the people who are willing to take what might be a bad deal or a bad gig otherwise out of literal love of the game. If they're not inclined to do it, then you know that something is rotten at the core of, <laughs> of what's going on there. Well, there's always a... And I don't know if anybody is going to... I don't know if anybody's going to, like, feel this the way that I do, but I've always felt working with Watsi, doing stuff for Watsi, participation in the tournament series, there's a certain level of like debasing yourself to Watsi that's like implied in the entire experience. And then at some point, I guess you just like wake up and you're like, oh wait, I'm a human being with self-respect and I can't I can't do this anymore. Uh and I, I think we see it in like the fact that their employees are just generally underpaid at all levels. We see it in the way they the like the attitude that they have towards players in general. We see it in like the development of arena and then the way the arena experience just like continues to degrade over time most levels of interacting with wizards of the coast like make me feel like a mark and uh i think a lot of people probably don't want to keep putting up with that for too long especially now that it's gotten super blatant mm -hmm. like you, you always had those ever those one ofs every now and then where they'd announce a new moto format or format or um, tournament structure and then the, They'd get an outcry and the tournament price would get reduced. Right. Exactly. And then the wild card thing with Historic where they charged double wild cards at the start when they announced it. And that was obviously ridiculous. They just scaled it back to normal exorbitant wild card costs. <laughs> and they used to be like a once in a while thing. And now it just seems like it's constant. Or oh, hey, the, the, the very first online Pro Tours uh, where the the initial plan was to have you just <laughs> use your own account and your own world cards to craft <laughs> right. the deck that you would play in those tournaments and then uh understandably there was backlash there which they they had to walk back on but yeah i mean it's it's no no longer just a one-off it's a recurring pattern of behavior which you just have to to read for what it is yeah for sure do we have any ideas of like how we are seeing the future of magic content creation or magic coverage or both going forward this is all happening in the context of you know high level competitive magic being deprecated to a certain extent we don't know what the future of it holds with you know huey at the helm of organized play i i don't i don't know what that means but it's hard to i, I you know we just can't predict anything there i know you know like most 
of the new like hey here i'm making content now like most of the expansions of that are forays into like patreon creating like effectively like all these individual sub stacks for subscribing to individual people's content like is that is that the future of magic content and people being able to make a living off of magic content or what are where where are we going from here i i think it is and i think maybe this was always going to happen at a certain point you know even if covid hadn't uh turned the whole apple cart upside down to me i even when i was being paid to make content uh i I never really understood why that made sense for anyone to do um Mm -hmm. it just in terms of this being an efficient use of your your marketing or your advertising budget maybe this is my own mental block i found it quite hard to you know so there's the with, with premium you had the aspect of you are paying to receive strategy content and so that that transaction kind of makes sense to me but the idea of we are going to pay you to make content that is free to read for our site where i guess the idea is someone clicks on this and is so jazzed up by what they read that they immediately uh, navigate to the storefront that's on the website and uh <laughs> you know spend money that they shouldn't be spending on on magic cards Maybe the analytics confirmed that that is what was happening uh, enough that this made sense for them to do. That didn't really seem plausible to me. And I, I don't have access to that data myself. So it's hard for me to like make an informed judgment there. But especially for the people that they are paying top dollar for, you know, does it make sense to pay Paolo or Patrick Chapin or whoever hundreds of dollars to write a piece which is essentially, it's getting eyeballs to one portion of the site but then it's just allowing them to meander wherever they want from there. To me, that that return never seemed like it was sensible at all. Whereas the the more direct model of, you know, if you pay me $10 a month, you will get access to this living document that has this cyborg guide and, and so on and so forth, or these weekly updates or this exclusive uh, VOD or podcast episode or what have you. I think that's an economic model where the inputs and outputs are much clearer. Whereas the old model of content creation uh, maybe was always just built on a house of sand. And I think that, you know, but back in the day, you had people like um, like Kibler saying, the tournaments themselves are kind of a distraction in terms of if you want to be a professional magic player, the idea is to make a name for yourself and to get your foot in the door and then go into content creation. And that would be, the, the kind of stable salaried role of professional magic player. But then I think that only ever made sense if you were a Brian Kibler or someone who was a big enough name that you could command that much money. I think for the marginal content creator who was getting, I, I don't even want to put a specific number on this, but uh, getting peanuts in order to produce content, which I don't even know if that many people were actually reading. I, I don't think the economics of that made sense for anyone involved, not the the content creator, not the site, not the people uh, who were potentially paying money to read it. I I was just never clear on how that was meant to work. And maybe the answer is that it didn't. And that, you know, that, that pyramid would would eventually collapse on itself. So, so I agree completely with that. I, but my sort of takeaway from it, like I I looked at, at Star City and I I thought, yeah, that's probably doesn't actually make feasible economic sense from like a hard budgeting standpoint you're not getting more money out of it than you're putting in but i always kind of assumed that it was a little bit of 
you know, Star City providing an endpoint for players on the Star City Tour. Like, if you succeed on the Star City Tour, this is an unofficial prize for, like, a significant amount of, like, consistent success. Like, that's, you know, that that's how you got onto writing articles on Star City is you destroyed the circuit for a season and then they were like, we gotta let this guy start writing articles. Uh, so kind of an unofficial prize and also kind of, like, uh, a little bit of magic player welfare. And I don't mean that in any sort of, like, denigrating way. Like, I think welfare is, like, a, a really important thing that should exist. And I, I want more welfare to be paid out to people. But this was just a way of, like, Star City acknowledging, and, and other sites, I assume, because I, I just don't, I also don't see how the economics can really make sense. The other sites acknowledging, like, we exist because Magic players buy, like, a lot of Magic the Gathering cards and they buy them through us. And people being able to make content and, like, have a nice, fun life where most of what they do is, like, play Magic and write stuff about Magic is, like, a good thing to exist. And we're just going to kind of contribute to that because it's good. But maybe that's just me wanting that to be a way that people think about the world. And and then, you know, the fact that at some point Star City's like, yeah, this isn't working anymore definitely puts a puts a stick in the wheel of that theory. Yeah, I I do wonder how this ties into just wider trends in content creation as well, where I I think CFB has almost provided this useful scientific uh, comparison here, where to some extent their free content is as pared down and as to the point as it possibly can be. There's no faffing around with actual analysis, if that makes sense. Here is a deck list from a recent tournament, and here is a sideboard guide. Yep. Here, yeah, here's a cyber guide. Here's a very basic explanation of how this works. It's minimal effort put in. And I guess that that equation then rebalances itself to where that makes sense. But again, it's hard for me to form this mental model of the, the consumer who reads that. And then even if they are convinced that this is the hot new thing, I need to own this. If CFB is still not offering them a better price than you know, their LGS or some other seller or going through TCG player or whatever is the mere convenience of I am currently on this website enough to tip that balance or it's it's really hard for me to follow all of those links through that chain. And so just the existence of it, it like maybe this is the version of nowadays when you just Google anything, the first however many pages of results are just clickbait uh, sites like recycling the same identically worded clickbait over and over again uh, like maybe there's just some hidden incentive for content to exist just because I, I don't know <laughs> getting back a little to the Patreon stuff because uh, there's been so many Patreons unveiled today with you know articles are no more in Star City Games so all these people are making their own Patreons like Corey's got one Paulo just made one etc etc one of the weird things to me is that, well, first of all, I just can't subscribe to everyone's Patreon. If I Even if I read all their articles on Star City, it, it, it's just the price is too high. But going back to what you were saying earlier, Dom, one of the things I super liked about community members' Patreons is that they're usually laser-focused onto a specific topic or format or what have you. So when I paid my $5 a month or whatever... I knew exactly what I was getting or in the range of what I'm getting. 
Whereas with a lot of these Patreons that are coming out, it's just, I'm going to start writing magic content, which is a vague term. It's like a generic catch-all. And I don't want to, I just, me personally, just don't want to pay another subscription to get a grab bag. Right. It's one thing if you subscribe to Sodeck and then you have the dredge deck every week. It's another thing if it's just like, oh, these are going to be whatever articles they would have written for Star City. It's whatever format they're playing this week. When you're subscribing to Patreons at X dollars a month, there's definitely a certain like cost benefit analysis that has to go into each one or else before you know it, you're paying a hundred bucks a month for, you know, 10 or 15 different Patreons. And, and I'm a huge consumer of magic mm-hmm. content. I'm, I listen to podcasts every day. Yeah. I'm subbed to a bunch of Patreons, but I can't, I, I like, I, I just, I would love to sub to everybody's Patreon and give them all of the money, but I just don't have the money to, to do this. And, and, and this, this goes back to the, it's the same thing. Like if there wasn't enough money running around to actually justify having a strategy content section of your magic, the gathering stores website, if, if that wasn't converting into money, where is the money for the individual creator Patreon's going to come from in such a way that a decent number of people can use this as a primary source of income. I'm not sure that that money exists. And and that's a little daunting, I think. Right. And this is what made, I would say, SG Premium good value in the past, where you were bundling effectively all of these different sources of high-level content and getting a uh, kind of a bulk discount, if you like, on, on all of mm-hmm. that. Whereas if you have to pay individually $5 to, to Paolo's Patreon and Sam Black's Patreon and Ari Lax's Patreon and, and so on and so forth down the line for however many content creators you're willing to do that for, well, very quickly that adds up to you're paying three or four times what you were before. And if you are giving enough to each or any of them that it makes sense for them to keep doing it because, you know, the difference between Lee giving me $5 every month and Lee giving me 10 to $15 every month, if there are hundreds of Lees out there, like that, that is pretty substantial. Well, if if Lee is giving me $10 a month, well, that's five less dollars that might be going to some other, you know, con- like to the marginal mm-hmm. content creator who Lee would really love to support, but he's at, but suddenly he's paying uh, $600 a month on candles or Patreons or whatever it is. And now it's, <laughs> it's really tough to justify, right? So- Please help me, my family is dying. <laughs> so I, I wonder if in that world, the the top shelf Patreons and so on just hoover up the vast majority of the money that's out there and there's even fewer scraps to go around for the people who, if we're being honest, were not the main draw for mm-hmm. a lot of people to, to premium or CFB Pro or what have you, but who it, it's a nice value add. You know, like while you're here, you can also read uh, this stuff. And then that lets... That lets the value add folks build an audience and maybe somebody you didn't realize was a main draw. Then you're like, oh, wow, this person's articles are actually very good because they're dialed in and and trying or they have specific knowledge of this thing. There's not really the the, like sampling that can go on anymore. Yeah, you, you don't really get to try before you buy, so to speak. So if you already have a positive impression of someone's uh, takes on the game, maybe you think, okay, I'll, I'll cough up the 
the money in the dark to subscribe or maybe you you subscribe for one month and see what happens but in a world where you know so much of this content exists in five different walled gardens it as someone who is looking to improve at the game and who has money to spend and is willing to spend it it's kind of tough to figure out where to go and so you do get to produce more specialized stuff now and that does reward the people who you know if you play just dredge in modern and what you care about is reading about dredge in modern well in the past maybe SCG would have something for you once every few months whereas now sodec has something for you every week at the same time how many people are there out there who just care about dredge and modern and who are willing to to pay that price to hear about dredge every week like either there needs to be a lot of those people or they need to have deep pockets in order for for that to sustain itself and even within that there are some perverse incentives so if your take on the format as uh the the resident dredge expert is well things haven't really changed since last week and i would uh just run back the same list well, that's not really new content. Your your subscribers don't feel like they're getting something new. So their their weekly update or whatever. So there is an incentive there, and maybe not one that you buy into, but there is at least a reason to come up with something new to say, even if if you were just speaking freely from the heart, there isn't anything new to say. And that's just the issue with content as a whole, right? So, you know, one thing that kind of stuck in my craw a bit was how a lot of the deck guides uh for scg would get titled as everything i know about x fill in the blank and that seemed dishonest to me on both ends because either i don't know much about x and i'm writing about it because i'm a weekly columnist and i have to write about something and i'm sharing this platform with a dozen other people and maybe one of them has snapped up the most appealing topic for this week and i I just need to get a check so I, i need to file a piece this week let's find something to write about and so the sum total of what I know about X is pretty minimal. And so if I'm writing about Dredge, honestly, if, uh, you know, I, you should take your money uh, and go and get Sodex Dredge Guide instead because that will be more reliable, <laughs> more in-depth information. And on the other end of that, if there is a topic, which I really do have a lot of knowledge about, and I think for most Magic players, they have these, these local maxima, right? They have these things that they really know a lot about, which most people don't and that's part of why the game is so rich and so deep then maybe i get approved to write about that one week and it's you know everything i know about amulet but this isn't everything i know about amulet this is the tip of the iceberg this <laughs> played is ten thousand matches of amulet right in your life, this, so. is, this is everything i know about the deck that you're willing to pay me for given that i get the same money for this if it's uh two thousand words as if it's twenty thousand words it's everything about this that the average consumer with a short attention span is willing to read. And and again, it's everything about the deck that I'm willing to write for you, once again, given that At this I'm rate, getting the yeah. same mm-hmm. I'm getting the same either way, and I need to write about something else again next week, and so on and so forth. The titles make them seem equivalent, like you have yeah. the same knowledge as of Dredge as Amulet. Right. And so stuff like the the KCI Bible that, that Lee wrote uh many years ago, like that has no real place within mainstream content creation. You you could not really get that published on a site like SEG, CFB, and you wouldn't want to, even if you could, because the, the proposition just wouldn't work for you. And so at that point, do you just make it an open source thing and then ask people to chip in here if they feel so inclined? Or do you paywall it and hope that enough people will put that faith in you to to get what you think is 
uh, a lot more than that in return, it, it, that's a tough decision that people have to tackle on this more individual basis now. So for my example, you just brought up, I actually had the opportunity to proposition this to Cedric, who's the content manager at the time. And I, and, but then I would have to like whittle it down to article. This thing is like 60, 70 pages <laughs> right. for anyone who hasn't seen this. Uh, then I'd have to you know, whittle it down to article form and like distill it. And I just wasn't interested in doing that. And I, you know, had a job. I didn't need the money or trying to get into content creation or anything like that. So I just said, no, not, not going to pare it down or anything. We're just going to throw it on the internet and get Mox Opal Band or KZ <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, thanks, and, Lee. And thanks. That, that happened. <laughs> I mean, I think we... Hey, that... We had our we show had a fun. good run with that yes. deck. <laughs> Stuck around way and longer it was, than it should have. It, it was time to go. And I was getting sick of like people just showing up to tournaments and playing against KCI and just being crushed that in just the technical explanation of the rules. That's just not how the game oh, should that, be that was that was the worst part is you you would play at a, like LGS level with the deck and you would feel like you were doing something grimy or you were getting away with something whereas okay so in the course of casting this spell I'm going to do it like this and then this trigger will go on the stack and you, you could see their eyes glaze over and this sense of mistrust start to seep in and you just you felt like you wanted to be anywhere else doing anything else and so yeah maybe maybe that one was uh was for the best but right because you get the feeling that you just like made somebody hate magic or like they're not going to come to the next modern night like fuck (laughs) screwed this one up pretty bad there is such a narrow narrow subset of people i know because i'm one of them that actually appreciates that sort Mm -hmm. of thing and to everyone else, it's just bullshit. <laughs> but I, I think this this ties into something about coverage, which is if you were covering a modern tournament during that time, especially as you, you went deep into day two, you were going to have to watch some KCI. Uh, mm-hmm. And you could do the thing of uh, shadow banning it from coverage and just trying to feature anything else if you have the choice. But hey, if there's a, a KCI pilot in the finals of this tournament, eventually something has to give. And so, or if there's four KCI pilots in the top eight of this tournament, you're that, yeah, <laughs> it's tough to tough to dodge that then. Like one in each side of the bracket, so it's mathematically guaranteed that you know you, you have to cover <laughs> one of them. Um, and at that point, you then have to take that task seriously. And I, I know that Canister had this complaint at the time that yeah, the first time you can write this off as oh look how zany this is and that this is mm-hmm. completely incomprehensible and what are we meant to do, but that act can only last so long and eventually you do actually have to engage with what is going on on screen and try and you know either make sense of it or make light of it i mean that works too but um this is where either your broadcast is really leaning on your cedric and patrick duo to provide a non-magic commentary to uh you know to, to fill the dead air and keep people entertained as the the scrap trawler loop is being demonstrated or you get two people who maybe are honestly trying their best, but are just either just like doing their usual bits to the camera, you know, practicing their type five as all of this is going on, or who are just stumbling through the actual mechanics of the combo from first principles. And neither one of those makes for makes for good viewing. I, I agree with, I, I remember Canister speaking about that because it was pretty obvious. Matt Nass won two GPs in a row with this stick and coverage struggled coverage for the second one should not have been the same as the first i have worries about this going into the set championship because 
everyone knows that uh, the Golgari food deck in Historic is going to be a big deck. And this is just mm-hmm. a monotonous deluge of these like micro game actions where there's not even a story you can tell, really. It is just the same small things being done over and over again, not building towards any natural conclusion. And if you get into a food mirror, it is lights out in entertainment terms. I mean, we, we saw this at the last set championship. There was food mirrors in the top eight lasting 60, 90 minutes apiece. And they were the, the content was unwatchable, but then also the broadcast was unwatchable because it, it really takes a superhuman feat to keep people going, keep people entertained while all of this is going on. And so you need to be able to add some color to fill that void without being able to use the actual game itself as a crutch. And if your commentators can't do that, then, you know, it, it, it it's not going to work. Yeah, definitely one of the almost unique pitfalls of Magic the Gathering versus, like, any other game. You, like, there's no, you know, you get, like, a, a fighting game up on coverage you're watching a twitch stream of a of a fighting game tournament there's no like yeah it's hyper technical but it's never like you know it's never a a cat oven loop even if the very most defensive players in a fighting game play against each other and are just unwilling to make a move there's a timer it's only gonna last 90 90 seconds seconds. (laughs) tops (laughs) yep two people playing smash like they're they're fighting the whole time even if they're being like defensive and cautious like it's there's stuff happening in a way that magic just can have this risk of being boring and and hey if you have a a mirror match where it can legitimately come down to who has the best apm or who has the best uh, like clock exploitation strategy with a certain approach you can make that the topic and make that the focus Mm -hmm. and make this this shared thing that we're all suffering through together but hey on the other side you know maybe we'll get like a phoenix mirror instead or something uh but (laughs) you you need to be able to handle that with a certain uh you know attitude To, to circle back to the the topic we were just talking about you know let's say uh i'm i've been tasked with my everything i know about Charbelcher piece for this week, right? So this is an actual example. There was a weekend where the Charbelcher deck in Modern had its breakout weekend on Magic Online. And so I wanted to write about it and I wanted my piece about it to be timely because that's how you generate interest and people need to know heading into next weekend, which at that point was SEGCon, so it needs to be this week. They need to know how to handle this and maybe if they should be playing it themselves. And so if I have time, I can produce a piece that is more informed and can get into the, the granular details more. But if I if I have two days instead of two weeks, well, that places a hard cap on the level of attention to detail and, and the comfort you can gain in that time. And that's even if you have the time within those two days, right? If you are someone like me who, like, I can be pretty flexible with my schedule, I can run three leagues tonight with a Belter deck to wrap my head around it if I need to. If I'm someone who has a nine-to-five, has other commitments, if I need to have a regular job because my my dream job of creating magic content full-time doesn't pay enough to pay the bills, well, then that is going to have knock-on effects for all of these other incentives regarding what my content is going to look like. And so, yeah, if if the majority of content is made by people who don't necessarily want to write about a certain topic but feel obliged to, and who don't have the time to really devote themselves to that topic, then 
you you can imagine how much worse that is going to be than the best version of what that article might look like, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you have enough people trying to operate in that space, what you end up is what you end up with is a lot of people writing the same article. So if you go to the modern subreddit on that week, you can find a lot of people writing their articles for various sites about uh, making sense of this new Charbelcher combo deck. And frankly, you don't need to read all of them. And ideally, you only need to, be, to read one of them. And I want mine to be like the go-to piece. I want to have the best version of that. But once again, like you should probably just subscribe to Solik instead, right? At that point. And I, I'm not going to say that in my article, of course. But if someone asked me privately, uh, hey, uh, I have some questions about your piece, then I, I would know where to point them. And just to like be clear with what we're talking about with Sodex Patreon, like you know, we were joking about like, oh, it's so deep on dredge. Like Sodex Patreon is very, very good. It is. It's yeah. very good. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I was reading any of our allusions to Sodex as like casting aspersions on his Patreon, but oh no, uh, not, not at all. We all have a lot of respect. I think it's just been one of the most, yeah, one of the most vocal and mm-hmm. earlier. Like, here's my Patreon. Here's the topic I'm working on. He, he's been really good at that. Yeah. And I think that's why like, he comes to mind. Yeah, first. yeah, he does a good job of pubbing it. He has a huge amount of credibility because of his success, continued success on Magic Online against very good players. And uh, he like does a good job of kind of like pubbing it and putting it out there like this is this is what you get this week. And also has advertised by creating plenty of free content and just Twitter posts and stuff like that. Just a, a good model to follow for sure. Do we want to take the time to talk about the play-by-play color commentary <laughs> dynamic? Do we? Is that going to last half an hour, or do we want to? We can save uh, that? We, we, we we can keep it to a small idea, as it was uh, described on the notes. But uh, <laughs> yeah. right, whatever, well, let, me, let me take a whatever quick time limit you want to impose. Yeah, before we yeah. get into it, so I can really engage in this because I did just drink this whole bottle of water. So. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be right back <laughs> gotta go easy on podcast i night. have adhd if there's something i gotta if i have food or drink i have to put it if you put it behind you it won't be as mm. big a problem right <laughs> just a wild time yeah, this is fine okay i'm back welcome what back did i miss we're we're making fun of you the whole no, time i was i was really hoping it wasn't that we forgot it was recorded <laughs> that's so that's really easy us. thing to forget when you're recording a podcast I guess so sort of to sort of bridge these topics here. So, so Dom, what you were saying about like kind of the difficulty in spending the time when you just don't have the resources to devote to it because, you know, you may not be a professional Magic the Gathering article writer makes it tougher to write the in-depth articles and spend all that time. I think a, a challenge that I certainly ran into while trying to do coverage was I have a job. I have a bunch of things in my life that I need to take care of and doing commentary and also doing the production stuff to try to set the tournament up was really taxing. And I just didn't quite have the resources to devote to it, to do all of the good production stuff and set up everything that I wanted to get set up. Uh, you know, there's a an unlimited amount of work that you could do if you wanted to make your your production good enough but even just like being able to devote an extra you know 8 10 20 hours a week would have made a really big difference to to production quality but there were like a lot of things that i 
spent time thinking about that I, I wanted to improve. And I think like commentary in general, I think there are ways that you can spend time and learn and practice and iterate on sort of, you know, what we were talking about, like that commentary rapport and the, the sort of just being good at it and being entertaining and engaging and actually putting on a show rather than just talking about the game that's happening. Uh, one of the things that I spent a lot of time thinking about, but didn't really have the resources to devote to figuring out like what's the right system here and how can we like train to make it work is the classic play-by-play -play color commentary dynamic that you know you see on the official broadcasts and it has its roots in sports coverage where you have a person who is able to narrate all of the plays of the game everything that's happening on screen and then somebody else who engages and gives the descriptions the the, the color commentary uh and one thing that we've talked about many times and thought about is whether that is actually the dynamic that's necessary for coverage of a game of magic the gathering where you you know, you do get, you can see the whole field. You can see the card that gets drawn. You can see the card that gets cast. You can see that the fatal push targeted the Tarmogoyf. How important is the play-by-play -play in that sort of context? I don't know, Dom, if you want to sort of like kick us off here. Yeah, I, this has been a, a personal bugbear of mine for a while is where when any of these discussions about how commentary should be structured in Magic come up, there's always this reference made to, well, this is how we do it in sports. We have this person on play-by-play, -play, this person on color, and they're just meant to bounce off each other. I don't have comprehensive sports knowledge. I don't think that's how they do it in all sports, right? There's such a broad spectrum from the, you know, super fast-moving sports on the one hand to, you know, golf on the other. And whatever sport exists at a point on that spectrum maybe that setup works for that maybe it doesn't but it would be surprising in the abstract if that was the perfect way to handle all commentary for all sports regardless of pacing and content and all of these other um, concerns and then even if for a specific sport which maybe you think is a useful comparison uh, to magic in this case just because that's how they do it does that mean that's how they should do it or does that mean that's how you know, maybe there was an iconic pair of commentators in that sport and that's how they did it. And that just became the standard model that everyone used going forward. Or we, we mentioned the the inertia that, that comes up with these things, right? Where it, it is honestly easier to say, if we're going to hire people, we'll hire person A for this role and person B for this role versus trying to reinvent the wheel every time you need some new mm -hmm. people to do commentary. I'm also going to, I'm going to butt in real quick. The, you got to remember, especially with sports commentary, which is how a lot of commentary started, the like model. Play-by-play -play was absolutely necessary because the rate right. was huge. Like you needed someone to tell you what was happening in the game. That, that was a big part of it, which just doesn't, the same thing doesn't apply now. Yeah, and so it, no one ever shows their work with that aspect of these comparisons. It's just taken for granted that this is how they do it over in sports ball, and so that's how we have to do it in Magic, where I, I think the first part is you, you can't take it for granted, and then translating that to magic which is this uh i guess in some ways it's a physical activity but there are so many categorical differences there that i don't know if that comparison is even useful at all i don't know if it just muddies the water to 
introduce that in the first place. Whereas if you just ask someone, hey, what do you think would be a good setup for magic commentary? And they had no knowledge of sports. I don't think they would be any less informed in how to answer that question, if that makes sense. And then I, I know there are lots of people for whom the 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 literal play-by-play for magic commentary is necessary because you're not always paying rapt attention to whatever stream you're watching, right? Like maybe you have several streams open at once or, you know, this thing is open on one monitor, but you're kind of meant to be focusing on something else at the same time. Or I know some people, right, they, they have a bad day two at an open and they're driving home and on the way home, someone will fire up the stream to, so that they, you know, everyone in the car can listen to it. And you know, that, that's how they consume it on the way back because they need their fix. And so for all of those people, having someone who is actually narrating what is going on in the game in some capacity, that is essential. What I think is not only inessential, but actively harmful is where we get this strict demarcation between this is play-by-play and this is color. And so, you know, one person describes how the life levels are changing or what card just got put on the stack and the other person gives the analysis. I think when you look at, honestly, any of the most uh, well-regarded commentary duos, I mean, certainly the, the ones that I enjoy watching the most, invariably, either person could fill either role if they, they had to, and the roles in practice are a lot more fluid. You know, it's often someone who, they describe what's going on, and they give their own reaction, and then the the color commentator picks that up with their own reaction, and that's what starts this this back and forth. It's not someone uh, just tr- trying to fill air by saying words uh, and you know just putting stuff out there into the universe, and then someone else with a totally different and separate job now doing their part. It, it's a lot more dynamic there you know we we use Cedric and Patrick as the the go-to example all the time there have been times on the broadcast where when we were doing the online stuff uh, Patrick would have technical issues sometimes and Cedric would have to go from the play-by-play role into the color role or or vice versa and he could do that seamlessly uh, and make it look effortless because he has the knowledge uh, and the the skill to be able to just do that and that's why when he is firmly in that play-by-play position he's able to do that 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 is necessary for that to work and and just in general i think to see that if you if you have two people working on a task together where they both bring something to the table and they need to be going back and forth just having the the empathy i guess to understand what does what is the other person going to say how long do they need to say it how can i set them up to say it that is necessary on some level to do your job properly as a play-by-play i think that rigid distinction has never really been the case and no one has ever really argued for why it should be the case um and i think in practice it just doesn't really work and yet that that still is kind of baked in to a lot of the discussion of how commentary should work yeah i can't disagree with any of your points here i mean the way that we always ran it was much more casual we didn't have people assigned to play-by-play or color roles uh unless individual commentators that who were working with us asked to have sort of a more stable role then then we certainly could work with people who felt more comfortable doing that but i don't think we even set sort of the baseline like rules about and maybe you know maybe this was a mistake the the sort of like hey let's have this person generally describe what's going on uh we kind of just let people rent run with it 
however they wanted, which is, you know, probably somewhere on the opposite end of the spectrum that's also not the best, and somewhere in the middle is is where you want to hit, where you've got, like, a certain amount of structure, but the ability to go more freeform, free-flowing when the situation calls for it. I I definitely, you know, there's there's a, a gap between covering a a soccer or a football game where things are happening and you might not not everybody who watches football is like a a lifetime football player or football coach and stuff it can be tough to tell what's happening you don't necessarily know what each type of play is and having somebody describing that to you can be really helpful even if you're not listening to it on the radio you're watching it on the tv in magic though the cards are on the stack they're on the battlefield they're in the graveyard you can you can take a look at it and so i never felt bad when we digressed into like a long conversation about the strategic importance of whatever play is being made whatever thought process is happening you you do kind of need to bring it back down to earth eventually you you say oh it looks like he's casting palace jailer now or whatever just to like check back in on the game after talking about how busted the monarch is but i i do think in some ways this is one of the ways that coverage has its like oh magic coverage is in the stone age problem is is kind of this too much dna from like sports broadcast journalism the way i view the dichotomy play by play and color i think they are I like to think of them as training wheels. It's not to say that they're bad. Like, that's how everyone learns to mm-hmm. ride a bike. <laughs> but it, it is actually really useful in some cases to be like, all right, you're primarily responsible for uh, analysis. Feel free to jump in and play, play, whatever. But if you don't want to, that's fine. The other person will pick mm-hmm. up their, sl- their your, your whatever you're holding out oh, your slack and so forth. But I know when when we were doing coverage like when we did it with uh the early the lotus box tournaments it was like me or you or me or collins or whatever we wouldn't have to find rules we would just talk about the games and it was very free-flowing and i think we did a good job uh and then when we went to the managers and started having more guests more people we didn't interact with all the time every day uh like jarvis dom liz etc it was w- way more helpful to be like all right there's some communication breakdown or we're not flowing right so let's have it so this is your primary role this is what you'll do and this is what i'll do that sort of thing but it never felt like that was the pinnacle of what it should be Mm -hmm. you know yeah and and i mean one thing that we were not really able to implement which is something that i think is good to draw inspiration from traditional sports casting and and one thing that like Star City at least did did really well with a couple of their teams is is having those consistent pairs that have that back and forth and just like feed off of each other's energy and are able to like bring you an entertaining experience. You know, we weren't really able to provide that just because of logistics and how our show worked and stuff. But uh, I think that that is one thing that can be really, really good is is, you know, two buds doing magic commentary <laughs> like some of my favorite uh commentary that i've ever watched of any game is uh dota a long time ago and they may still do it i don't really watch that much dota coverage anymore like i used to 
but they just had any time a qualifier weekend for the international would come up. The international is the big tournament at the, the end of the year. They, the qualifiers were open, but Valve let you let any broadcaster rebroadcast them because the, the Dota client is beautiful. You can stream whatever you want, spectate it in however many modes you want. It's great. You, you can do whatever. So a bunch of broadcasting teams or commentating teams would just take those broadcasts and have their team literally sit on a couch in just casual clothes and just talk about the game. And that was the best. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, like it's easy to to pine for the days of opens every weekend with Cedric and Patrick or whoever your favorite duo was. And I, I think we we know that that experience is not coming back. And when you look at a lot of the logistics that went into making that work especially behind the scenes where for every one person you see on camera there's at least one often several people uh who whose faces you never see but who are integral to the whole thing coming Mm -hmm. together it is a big production and a big performance and we should not undersell not not that you guys have i mean you know this yourself just how crucial all of that is so yeah i think the days of uh if the the tour as it was back then is going to columbus well we're going to pack an entire van full of camera equipment and crew and we're going to fly in our commentators from across the states and and so on yeah those days are behind us yeah but it was so i I guess depressing to me when we had your seg con in roanoke on home turf right and uh Mm -hmm. this was before the backpack stream thing really took off again but it's again it's not like that's a a new concept that's hard to fathom like the idea of just you don't you don't need commentators even you don't need uh, someone uh, standing behind you tracking cards drawn on life pedals just put up a camera on a tripod recording some matches broadcast it let people restream it I, I think there would have been a lot of gratitude generated by that and especially with how that tournament went as well you had Corey who. I mean, fan favorite, magnetic personality, you know, one of SCG's own, SCG's finest, taking the whole thing down. Uh, Shaheen was top eight, lots of other uh, great storylines there. Just some sliver of that. It, it doesn't have to be a perfect replication of what the Envy coverage would have been, you know, in 2018, 2019, but just something, I think, with a little effort, could have gone a long way there. And, and you got to remember, like, the. <laughs> I like your callback to the backpack streams not being new. That's how Magic coverage started. Yeah. Uh, GG's Live was a really old thing where uh, Rashad Miller just came to events, GPs, with the camera and like a desk to do coverage on their own. And he basically started Magic commentary as a thing. Right. And in those early days, it would be just two people who would finish their rounds coming into uh, or coming behind the table it's not even a booth per se just in front of the camera shooting the shit and talking about what was going on on screen and sometimes it lacked a certain professional finish or whatever but uh, there was this authenticity to it I guess which uh, was endearing even though it didn't have the production quality it didn't have a lot of the the bells and whistles that we take for granted these days and then you know after a while this was when Cedric came in and really offered this template for like how to do this in a more regimented way where you could know who you were going to see on camera what you could expect and really took all of that to to the next level and it feels like in so many ways we've just gone back a decade or more and it's it's really sad i I really hope 
And I super, super appreciate Honorog and Skylar for doing these backpack streams. I know that they just did them the most recently. There may be other people I don't, I'm not aware of. I, I hope we get to that era again where it's like, people want this. Maybe we can, you know, provide it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I wonder how much... As, as much as it does seem, looking back, like... How how can the SCG premium article structure and paying all of these writers to write articles every week, how could that actually have ever been sustainable? Maybe it wasn't. Without any particular influx of money into Magic the Gathering, like how can paying a whole coverage team with all of the production assets and coordinators and people behind the scenes, like was that maybe never really sustainable and just like kind of justifiable in the morass of money that was going in and out of star city games without anybody really taking a close look at it. Like that, that is one of the fears that I have. And I, you know, I, it, it sucks that it all comes back to money like this, but one of the things that I think is a big deal is just that magic has never found any level of like sponsorship or like being a show being a thing outside of magic the gathering for magic players sponsored by the same three companies that make things for magic players too insular and uh, unable to adopt you know unable to get money from other places and and kind of unable to adopt techniques or advice from different structures and different productions and and that may kill it i think that there's two things going on there so the first one is once you see the level of attention that other games or other esports or what have you are getting you want to try and broaden magic's audience to as many of those people as possible and it's easy to make what i think is a very misguided leap from that aim which is a good one into therefore the coverage has to be explicitly aimed at attracting those new, new players and being mm -hmm. understandable and explicable to them because I think that's a lost cause. I think there is just at, at the core a trade-off between making something which, you know, the slightly enfranchised Hearthstone player who takes a wrong turn on Twitch and ends up at a magic stream, like the, the sacrifices you would have to make in order to make the broadcast even at all accessible to them would just ruin the appeal, I think, to the majority of the enfranchised Magic playing audience who are the people funneling most of the money into the ecosystem and who are the reliable eyeballs on the stream week in, week out. And to the extent that you have to choose, you know, you are creating a product for people who are there already and it should not be, you know, you have this discussion all the time of, um, well, how do we make this targeted to new players and to me the answer is well that this isn't a tool to get the new players in it's you want this to be an aspirational thing where oh hey this looks kind of cool i'm going to buy in i'm going to learn about the game i'm going to become involved because this is the sort of thing i want to be able to understand and once they're there stuff like coverage is what keeps them there it's not the thing which you use to draw them in in the first place that's where the entire rest of your marketing budget is meant to go in order to, <laughs> to facilitate that. 
Right. And and I, I think that is one place where the Watsi coverage has never found its footing because a lot of times you'll tune in and you'll it, it seems to be trying to be all things to all people. So it is high level Magic the Gathering gameplay, sometimes covered by, you know, teams that are engaging in the deep strategy of the games, but often explaining some real real basics about the format and about the game uh in a way that doesn't seem very useful to most the vast majority of people that have it on twitch at the time and and it it doesn't seem like it always knows what it wants uh, to be take a shot whenever paul Gian explains the cat oven combo this weekend right right it's just is that helping anybody who's watching the coverage i don't know it doesn't seem like it would be but i'm you know, I don't have data on this or anything. And I, I could be wrong about this. You know, it, it could be that based on the information they have, which again, it creates this unequal situation for these conversations to take place in because we don't have the data and they do. And so it's very easy for them to say, ah, well, based on these figures, which, you know, these trump your entire case here, and we don't really get to offer an informed response to that. It could well be that they have decided, okay, we are going to target this demographic explicitly and orient the entire broadcast towards that and if that's the case fair enough you know if if this is not meant to be for me that's okay i understand that uh that's going to be true of many parts of the game although it increasingly seems these days like i don't know what is meant to be for me um but if that's the case if we are targeting this group in particular then if in the next breath whatever the the host or the commentator is saying on screen seems to run totally contrary to that then i'm just left confused rather than you know <laughs> enlightened here and that that is that is like the big picture issue i have with a lot of certainly the official coverage if you're good at your one thing great but i don't know what that thing is even meant to be and instead it's being like a, a very weak jack of all trades it seems like at times mm-hmm. yeah i be very easy to let the three of us descend into <laughs> like criticisms of of Watsi coverage comedy hour. We know what we like to see, and often it is not the official coverage that is presented. And so I will find myself watching restreams or just have it muted a, a lot of the time, which is an unfortunate. If that's the pinnacle of our coverage, that that is a pretty unfortunate place for it to be. But, you know, there's a lot of pretty unfortunate places that Magic the Gathering, that competitive Magic the Gathering is right now. So maybe that's just par for the course. But anyway, we can end this on some bright sides. Anything? Any? any... Do you want to talk about the the, 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 the tournament you're participating in? Uh, yeah, the, the set championship. I do yeah. not... I don't have to go super deep. I do not have high hopes uh, for myself, to, to put it mildly. Uh you know, I, I've had the pleasure of preparing with you know a, a truly world class squad of whom some people I'm sure will do very well uh, in the tournament here. Who's in your squad? Uh, so this is the uh, like the the so we have Paolo, you know, greatest of all time, a good start, uh, world champion, so on and so forth. Along with you know some people like Sam Rolf, who I've known for a long time and who are just now being recognised as the crushers that they are, and then. A lot of people in between, you know, people like Tangrams, you know, a lot of names who uh, would be familiar. 
um, Javier Dominguez, an, another world champion, uh, incredibly funny person as it turns out, just a, a real joy to to, to be around uh, in in cause and such. But it's a great group, and they're they're going to start off with a good list of good decks, and I, I I have this anxiety about whether I can represent them well and whether you know i have been a fully fledged and useful participant in the process and so on and it, it turns out that taking a tournament seriously and being invested in it has its ups and its downs you know um it, it's been a great experience and I'm, I'm and i'm glad i've had it in terms of testing but it also like e- even when we had stuff like the player championship um for scg or, or other stuff which yeah i it would have been nice to have done well in it felt like it was more individual uh, in terms of, you know, I sink or I swim, but it doesn't have any implications for how I view myself or the game. But for this, it's like, well, I, I need to put in a good effort for myself and then also for all of these other people. And if I don't manage to deliver on both of those, then I'm going to feel, you know, upset or mad at myself in a way that just getting the, the minimum two points at another open this weekend, uh, it, you know, <laughs> never really felt. Sure. I obviously you set high expectations for yourself and you don't want to let people down. I, I, you know, as somebody who has interacted with you a fair bit and been around you for preparation for a tournament or two, I, you know, I don't have any particular concerns for <laughs> your participation and involvement in that process. <laughs> yeah. I, I do uh, fondly look back on that uh, pre envy preparation phase of pioneer where we just, we that went into the fun. tank and we, yeah, it was just trying to find 44 copies of Vivian Arbor Ranger or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to take some of the blame for it. You know, I, I will uh, hang my hat on that one. I, I've still got a bunch of uh, Vivian's and Hardin's scales hanging around in boxes around <laughs> here somewhere. <laughs> Glad to hear it. But those are survive the move. keep those Hardin's scales. I'm sure they'll be gold one day. I mean, maybe we could unban Walking Ballista and Pioneer. Who knows? Oh, that's a that's a whole another podcast in itself. But you you have my support on that one for sure. <laughs> Anything that increases walking bullets to play. Now that we're at the two hour mark of recording, let's talk about banning the lurus. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that that's easy. We don't even. I mean that that case both writes itself and has been made so many times. That I don't know what else I could possibly add to it at this point. Like it. The show notes is just going to be <laughs> a list of citations. I, like, like it's, it's going to happen, right? And if it happens in I don't know, 2024, we're going to look back and think, we could have done this so many times over the years. Why did it take this long? And honestly, two years in, I'm at that phase already. So just just get it over with, please. I don't I don't think we have to make a case. I don't think there's anybody left to convince. When you've got Corey on Twitter saying like, yeah, I mean, we should ban Luris. It's way too good. It's it's made Grixis Death Shadow way too powerful. Like, you know... I don't I don't know who the hold are who the holdouts are on this one, so Yeah, I think it may be in like uh the phase that Lee and I got to with Mark Sopal, where it's like, look, we've made our money here. Now it's time to, you know, restore <laughs> some sanity to <laughs> to to proceedings. Distribute these to the cubes. Yes. Go forth, <laughs> my children. <laughs> but do you so historic and alchemy are the formats yeah. for the tournament. Well, so th- this is the Kamigawa Set Championship, which is the the yeah. the, de- the debut for alchemy on on Magic's biggest stage. However, it will not feature yeah, the alchemy cards from the Kamigawa expansion for reasons truly beyond my understanding, um, <laughs> beyond human comprehension. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just at, at this point it feels like a joke. It feels like someone 
inside is just uh, having a laugh with this, trying to undermine it in whatever way uh, they can. And there's there's a literal spy inside Wancy <laughs> trying to make the worst decisions. And and yeah. I- an unforeseen bummer here, kind of an uncontrollable one, is, you know, they, like, made the alchemy format because they were like, man, standard just, like, never is fun. Maybe if we do this different thing, people get kind of excited about it. Uh, meanwhile, first alchemy tournament, and, like, the standard format's really fun right now. I don't know how much of that is because people aren't really paying attention to it and trying to, like, focus it down and break it. But, like, at the moment, the standard is pretty cool. And that's the thing. They they nerfed all of the cool stuff from the standard format. And so now Alchemy is is much more of a one-trick pony. Um, mm. So you look at the uh, the Goldspan Dragon show of confidence Lear combo deck that CFT yeah. self just dazzled people with this uh, this past weekend. And you just don't get to have that fun anymore because the, the card is nerfed, including in Historic, where even if you want to try this on a bigger right. stage or... If you really like that mutate deck, if you want to recreate that in historic, can't do that. Card just doesn't function, even though it's at a perfectly fine power level for that format. But the idea that it might be across the line in a different format means you don't get to. It's yeah. It's I don't know who alchemy is for at this point, and it's you think back to like week one of alchemy, the the first big alchemy tournament. It's a uh, blue white with a uh, key to the archive. Right, one of the alchemy cards is everywhere. Next weekend, Frank Carson unleashes werewolves on the world. And now uh, it's not even a werewolf deck because Townray's a tyrant. It's a flagship card. And that deck is 60% of every alchemy tournament. And so in theory, you have a a new-ish format where the new cards, the things that differentiate this from standard, are what make it special. That These are the defining features. Mm-hmm. And then we go from that to this past weekend where... There was an alchemy PTQ where runes was 60% of the tournament or had a 60% win rate or something. And this is a deck that you can literally play in standard, uh, card for card, and that's what people are doing. And so are we hoping for a format which is defined by the alchemy stuff or where the alchemy stuff barely registers, but you can do it if you want? And it's more about the stuff that isn't there because it's being nerfed so much that you can't play it anymore. I, it's, it's just incoherent. And I did not expect that I would be almost hoping this tournament was standard instead, but that's kind of where I've come around to at this point. <laughs> I so I'm of two minds on it. Like number like I, I would like to watch standard, but I'm afraid that part of the reason that the standard format is good right now is because it hasn't gotten the eyes and the attention to like make it unfun. Yes. So I'm kind of okay with it not being a competitive format. <laughs> And and this may be that reason we were looking for for why the tournaments always seem to occur at the end of the format these days is if you go back to the model of the pro mm-hmm. tour occurs two weeks in and that sets a stage for everything that comes after, well, maybe that just leads to the format getting too stale too quickly. And once you have this massive volume of games being played on Arena, if the best decks are already known about two weeks in, then after a few more weeks or months of that, it's, it just gets so repetitive so quickly. That being said, if you have that higher volume, then people are going to figure it out regardless. And you'd much rather them figure it out in an interesting way rather than, you know, one person... Have your tournament, your broadcast, yeah. your promotional thing, have it mean something. Yeah. Versus, you know, someone hits a number one mythic with a deck, posts on Twitter, and now that is all over the ladder for the next day. Like, I, I don't think that's a better outcome uh, for promotional purposes. Well, the only reason that it is is for the small subset of players who are like 
the experienced deck builders because the number one ladder deck that then 60% of the ladder is playing is generally much easier to figure out a way to crush than the like tuned pro tour deck that put four copies into the top eight and the format's kind of busted. So <laughs> there is that small bonus, but I don't think that's a meaningful difference to the player base at large. Yeah, I, if that's going to happen, do you want it to happen on Croaky stream or do you want it to happen on the official Magic stream where you also get mm-hmm. to promote whatever it is you want to promote or you know i and that's a whole new conversation in itself but of course it's it is tough to find an aspect of how arena has been handled over especially the covid period that has made any logical sense to me um (laughs) even with generous assumptions about well what if their priorities are this or even fixing that in place whatever goal you're trying to accomplish i don't see how they're (laughs) how they're coherently moving towards that i I generally feel that if before they had made each of the decisions they had made they like consulted a magic eight ball about it i think like we would be in a better spot than especially the ask again later one (laughs) (laughs) some of these decisions could use some time not spectator mode though that one Maybe it's been stuck on asking. It'd be nice to rush that one out the door. (laughs) I I mean, the the funniest thing about all of this to me is, as someone who essentially only ever plays constructed and who typically tunes out during the draft rounds of the Pro Tours, the impression I get, the the consensus I've heard is, limited over the past few years has been a home run, just like an absolute triumph of design for the most part, and yet it is totally absent from the entire competitive landscape and even if you wanted to host some kind of independent draft tournament, how are you logistically meant to do that with uh, <laughs> the setup of Arena, right? Like it's, you have to jump through so many hoops and it's it's just, it never gets off the ground. And so, you know, even the one aspect where the design half has really been firing on all cylinders, there's no handover to, you know, the, the actual like uh, digital implementation side of things. Yeah, I would agree completely. Well, Probably like- the best like three-year run of limited in like the history of magic the gathering you you do get the issue with limited coverage which i understand why they cut it is that it's always way 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 more engaging to uh play the limited games in drafts like upset drafts than to actually watch them because you have to have to be very 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 invested in a single player or have to be able to pick on very small minutiae of games you're watching such as like the the tom martell beguiler of wits mm. thing in the dark ascension pro tour which is probably a deep cut for anyone <laughs> yeah. who gets that reference but you're welcome i i will say though <laughs> you know because we had the mocks again this weekend and just one of the places where magic coverage technology has improved and, and just like well thought out just great production uh, is in coverage of the cube draft portions of those events. They have the advantages of the small field. They focus on one draft. But yeah, just a, a fantastic job done with that, with the viewer and the focusing on like a deck. And, and just, it, it makes it very watchable. I do, yeah, I do want to say my caveat to like set drafts doesn't really apply to mm-hmm. cube because it's on Magic Online all the time. It's the same list and you can draft it over and over and over and over yeah. again. <laughs> Like, I know the pool and the cards, which is not the same sort of configuration you get with just a normal True. set draft. So that that's way more right. relatable. Like, if someone drafts Mono Red at the mocks, I know with pretty 
a good degree of confidence i can draft a very similar monorad deck at the next cube i sure. yeah I, I think limited always presented this massive conceptual problem for coverage which they, they never seem to have a confident answer to and e- even when scg uh they did coverage of a uh, limited gp in 2015 2016 they really put on a good show for that and i think offered the best template for what limited coverage could look like but none of that was carried forward for for years into the future after that and even that broadcast as someone who like i would gladly tune in to hear cedric and patrick talk about anything and yada yada even just watching the limited games of that format was hard to follow in a way that uh just the average magic broadcast uh, isn't for the most part i don't know how you square that circle the way that they did it in recent years was to just not have limited which that makes sense if you're optimizing for coverage and for growing the game through that axis but then if you're doing that then why the hell did you do all of these other things which are working against that goal you know <laughs> true guess we should probably call it uh yeah i mean this is really fun but uh, everything has to end <laughs> at some point any any final closing thoughts from either of you guys I'm, future I'm of uh, coverage future of just being a content producer in general dom what are what's your what, what you got going on man <laughs> what, what are we thinking for the future uh i i mean i tweet a lot i i post i'm online if that if <laughs> we're that all posters <laughs> yeah capital o <laughs> capital o capital p uh find those posts at dom and javier every day often seven t- several times a day beyond that i don't know i'll like i I always want to be engaged with the game. You know, I, I still love the game. That that hasn't waned, even with uh, everything over the past few years. And it's just about finding new outlets for it, really. So, you know, we we didn't touch on Cube in this conversation, understandably, but like that's where most of my bra- magic brain space goes on any given day. And I don't think that's going to change, even Same. if, you know, standard and modern and so on are all uh, hopelessly uh, degenerate in, in a few months or so. That's what's kept me here since the original Kamigawa, actually, is even when the game itself has gone through these uh, these twists and turns, is there's always something there to find solace in. And for some people, that's consuming old magic coverage now, right? Or it's looking back on uh, the, the glory days as they see it. Uh, and who knows how long that will last for. But There's also so much old magic coverage yeah. <laughs> that spans years. You could be seeing it for the first time since you started playing Magic. And you could end up in some kind of loop where the moment you get to the present day, by that point, it's been so long since you looked at this tournament from 2012 that no one no one remembers it. So you just go back and you, you know, it, it endlessly, uh, it feeds on itself that the snake uh, eats its own tail. Yeah, maybe there's enough Magic coverage we don't need to make anymore. We just do it in cycles. The coverage <laughs> of Roboros, what is that yes. called? Yes. Roboros. Thank you for, for inviting me. I think this was uh, cathartic in some ways, just getting to speak about uh, some aspects of this uh, with other people who care about it as much as I do for, for the first time, really. And, uh, you know, as I said, I've been listening to you guys for, for a long time and have known you guys for a long time. So it's a pleasure to actually, you know, join you behind the microphone. It was a pleasure having it was, you. <laughs> it was wonderful having you. I have been listening to every episode of the uh, of Dominaria's Judgment and uh i hope that it comes back in some form it's you know you have your podcast you listen to and you have your podcast that you look forward to and y'all's definitely falls into the latter category so i i hope that you are able to figure out and and keep making it at some point going forward 
And if you steal my name, <laughs> yeah thanks again so much for being here this was super super fun uh for everybody who is listening thank you so much for your time we love having y'all listen to us uh i hope that this was useful or entertaining in some way and not just cathartic for us uh if you want to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We have always used the Paolo model, which is you, you get the content, and if you want to give us some money, that's that's cool, man. If you want to find us online, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Uh, Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Dom, where where in on the internet can they find you? What places, what stuff? Uh, they can find me on Twitter uh, at Dom and Javier um, and yeah that's where I spend most of my time these days <laughs> uh, thanks again and have a great week